I'm the trash man. I come out, I throw trash all over the all over the feature. And then I start watching garbage. Welcome to Cheapskate Tuesdays. This is a collaborative podcast between myself, Big Sip MC, and the Doom Prophet. Hey, I'm the Doom Prophet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so neither of us are professional movie critics, but between us, we've watched a lot of movies. Oof, too many, too many years of asthmatic childhood spent indoors watching movies. Probably hundreds of hours of movies, of huge varieties. Yeah, so basically the project that this is, is we're going to go see hopefully a different movie every tuesday because local theaters offer a cheapskate tuesday hence the name so we're gonna go see something 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 (laughs) for five dollars no uh no tone or you know specific criteria involved it could be anything no theme so we're just gonna see something could be garbage in fact it probably will be garbage and based on modern movies partly the aim i suppose yeah so what we're going to do is just see a movie and then talk about it and the movie we saw this week on the first ever Cheapskate Tuesday was Asteroid City by Wes Anderson. Yes, yes. Uh, I'd say for... How do we... Gosh. You just want to start out with, like, do we recommend this movie or not? Yeah, I de- okay, we'll start with that. I would definitely say I recommend this movie as a Cheapskate Tuesday. Um, definitely not as a full price, like, 16 to $18 ticket you know wherever you are but that's definitely way too much for uh for this viewing i think uh the cheapskate tuesday is the perfect place for this one i definitely recommend seeing it though yeah i think i'm gonna have to tend to agree on that i didn't love this movie but wes anderson as a director you know he's always gonna bring it with the visuals at the very least so i think this is an okay theater experience just on visuals alone um I didn't love the content of the movie, which I guess we're going to move into after this, but I, I also would recommend seeing it just purely on, you know, visuals and the strength of Wes Anderson's directing. I think it's 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 okay enough to go to a $5 movie. Yeah, the theater definitely brings that, you know, experience that you cannot get at home. So, yeah, no, without a doubt, that it already puts it up above most movies. <laughs> um, so, for to get to, like, the nitty-gritty, let's talk about the uh synopsis a little bit uh i'll let you do it oh i have to do the synopsis well, okay <sighs> so like some other wes anderson films this has a bit of a complicated narrative device so the movie opens and it's actually a television program sort of in the style of like a 50 or 60s television program it's black and white and brian cranston is narrating the television program which is showing us how an american play goes from you know basically the conceptual stage being written cast all the way to production so the television program will feature brian cranston narrating and then there's sort of like a middle layer of like the playwright the actors the director and then the play that they're directing and acting in becomes the movie of asteroid city which is, I guess, the meat of the uh, the actual story. And in Asteroid City, essentially what is happening is it's like this kind of podunk Midwestern town, and there's a, a conference for gifted children to come and display their inventions, and that's sort of how the movie gets started. And then 
I guess I'll just say shenanigans ensue. Yes. So, yeah. I don't know if I can go much further about spoiling it. Exactly. What do you think? I, I yeah, that, that's yeah, shenanigans ensue. But the uh, I guess the only main thing here would be just like he differentiates between the levels by using black and white. It seems. Yeah. And uh, that was they made it a little bit easier, but at the same time, the whole um, the whole thing became kind of. Uh, undo of itself it just kind of crippled the movie in my in my eyes yeah i thought it was a bit clumsy so if you're a wes anderson fan like i am actually you'll remember in the grand budapest hotel it starts out with a similar narrative where it's Mm -hmm. like a girl and she's visiting the grave and then she's reading a book and in the book is a guy (laughs) narrating his life experience (laughs) and his life experience he got told this story by some other guy right but in the grand budapest hotel it's only at the beginning and the end, right? Yeah. This movie is consistently cutting back to this mid-level of the actors and directors, and also Brian Cranston narrating. So it's like even a level higher than yeah. that. Yeah, it, it it gets kind of ridiculous, and you you end up losing track like a few times because they'll stop abruptly and go back to one of these levels and uh, try to try to keep the momentum, but. At the same time, we both felt this like enormous halt after Act One, where yeah. we became in- so confused about where the movie was even going to go, and uh, that's where I guess the shenanigans ensue. <laughs> yeah. So I forgot to mention that in addition to the narrative device, the movie itself will cut to title cards. Yeah. Sort of describing the uh, the scenes you're going to see as if it was a play. It's three so acts, right? The movie will be, yeah, just like, a, you know, plays are typically three acts. So the movie will cut and there'll be like a title card being like, you know, act two, scenes, you know, five through eight, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Which that would have been fine enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, to keep I, you on track, they're reminding you that it, yeah, it's a yeah, play yeah. and not a movie. But um, I had the experience when the act two play card comes up, you're, <laughs> an, you're an hour in and I'm thinking, oh no, are there, is there two more hours of this? <laughs> so it definitely it didn't hit me the same as other Wes Anderson films because I was I was kind of panicking that I was going to have to watch this movie for two more hours thankfully they cram in the last two acts in uh, less time than the first act was but mm-hmm. yeah I don't know it it definitely felt strange because the cli- felt like the climax was at the end of act one yeah and everything else past that is uh, falling or you know was it falling action yeah. essentially and it's in falling action usually it's people's reaction to the climax and it to have that be over half your movie yeah is just it feels like a you know drawn out mess at that point it was a bit strange so um do we want to talk about what we liked before we talk about like what we did sure like? no i think that'd be best yeah we'll, we'll talk about what we liked and then we'll get into spoilers and the things we didn't like yeah yeah okay that sounds good that sounds good so i definitely liked some of the smaller interactions uh, especially the ones of like the the kids, all the the all the brainiac kids that came yeah. to the fair. I enjoyed all their interactions. I felt like personally the story should have stayed on them for the most part, but it really didn't. Yeah, I, I guess we should say that um, if you don't know, this movie has an enormous cast. Oh yeah. So the I can't even say the main characters. I guess the two main characters are Jason Schwartzman and, and Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Both of them played the parents of one of the brainiac kids. There's five kids. Two different, yeah, Sorry. yeah, two different kids. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. uh, Scarlett Johansson plays um, a famous actress, relatively famous actress, and 
uh, Jason Schwartzman plays a recently widow. Uh, he's a widower. Yeah, yeah his, his wife recently died, and he has <laughs> what is it? Four kids, and yeah. he's a war photographer. Yeah, three girls and one brainiac boy. Yeah, so there's five brainiac kids here for the the brainiac kids conference or whatever, and then there's sort of a parental unit for each of those kids. So you ha- you have five characters, then five parent characters at least. Then, in addition to that, visiting the town, a school teacher is taking like a field trip of kids. Yes. And then you have a whole bunch of cowboys, yeah, randomly. a bunch of cowboys that are just there because it's a Midwestern town. Steve Carell's running the town. Steve Carell's running the hotel at the town, and he was pretty funny. Um, there's the military people. Yeah, the military people. The scientists. The scientists. Yeah. Uh, there's the- also what a waste of Tilda Swinton. So Tilda Swinton oh plays. Oh my god. Yeah. She plays a scientist in this movie, and she has nothing to do. She's five minutes of the whole movie. Maybe. I love Tilda Swinton. She kills it in basically everything she's in, but she just like she doesn't have any scenery to chew on here. No. It sucks. But you definitely like every time a new person comes in, it's like slightly distracting. Yeah. Because you end up being like, oh, it's so and so. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, but then they're just gone. Yeah, they're and all super famous. Oh, we also forgot Tom Hanks. Oh, we forgot Tom. Hanks. <laughs> One of the best parts. <laughs> yeah. So I did feel like Tom Hanks is one of the stronger characters. He plays the grandfather of Jason Schwartzman's children. And um, I guess they're semi-stranded there. And Jason Schwartzman calls the grandfather to come pick up. Well, not semi. The car, like. Yeah. They're going to stay there anyway because of the conference. Yeah. That's true. It's weird. I don't really know why he got called. Yeah. They could. Yeah. Well, the car destroyed itself. Yeah. Because they had a, a whole shenanigan about. Oh, there's also a mechanic. Yeah, no, yeah, a mechanic. Yeah. Oh my there's god. There's so many characters. He comes back like three other times. Yeah. Oh god. It, it has to be at least. F- it feels like fifty people in this film that are like all famous in one manner or another. Yeah. So I would say that bloated cast is something that I didn't like, despite you know liking all these actors and actresses. It really felt like it could have been trimmed down a bit, mm-hmm. and it almost felt like. I don't know what Wes Anderson's like reputation is within the like acting community, but it's almost like everybody wants to cash in a favor and be in a Wes Anderson movie and he yeah. just can't say no. So, yeah. And he's like, Oh my God, I, I would love to work with you and like just throw them in the movie for yeah. like two minutes. And he, that's literally what happens. They end up being like Liv Schreiber's in this movie and he, he has what three lines. Yeah. It's, it's very weird Yeah, to have characters be built and seen with such few like, because it also takes away from the main story, you know, uh, right. between Scarlett Johansson and uh, well, what's Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. And their scenes get cut down dramatically. Right. Uh, I think most of their scenes are in act two, I think, but between the uh, the two windows, Probably, two and yeah. three. Yeah. And um, most of their interactions is just that, the, their dialogue back and forth between yeah. these two cottages while they wait for... Uh, well, that's <laughs> yeah, okay, we got off track. We're supposed to be talking about what we like. Yeah, well, okay, what was it? What was, what was the part? Another part you liked? Um, I liked the kids. What was the part you liked? So I obviously like the visual direction. Wes Anderson, he has his style. Everyone knows it, and he he brings it. The color palette is really nice. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, he's done a lot of variation with all his movies. Like you know, you have like the color palette in uh life aquatic which has like lots of blues and yellows and this one yeah. is similar it's got like the oranges of the desert and like the blues of the sky so i think that he chose a nice palette everything looks beautiful as always yeah and it's 
it's just like it's always visually refreshing to watch like a Wes Anderson movie in cinema because you're reminded of like why cinema exists. Yes. So yeah. it feels like a real film. Yeah, it feels like a real film, and not a CGI mess. <laughs> and not a CGI mess. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed the visual direction, of course. And then let me see. I I, was I there did any other characters like characters you liked. I liked a lot of the characters. The problem was that too little was devoted to each individual character. I would have liked to see like a little bit more. Yeah. Like there's a lot of funny things with Steve Carell's character. Oh yeah. So Steve Carell's character is the owner of the sort of like town hotel. Yeah. And he's got these vending machines <laughs> that just vend a bunch of bizarre things. Like some of them vend um, like mixed drinks. Mar- yeah. Like martinis. Yeah. Martinis. And then there's one that dispenses land and <laughs> like deeds to land. Yeah. Deeds to land. And the surprisingly, they keep going back to that. It's like a funny gag. Uh, I wouldn't have minded more focus on just like a few of the characters. So I did like the characters. Yeah. And, uh, I think we also paid, you know, a little bit of tribute to the, uh, the teacher and, uh, what was the cow- main cowboy's name? The main cowboy's name was Montana. Montana. Yes. I almost said Wisconsin for some reason. <laughs> yeah. So Maya Montana. Hawk. Maya Hawk plays the school teacher and she's like kind of trying to manage a bunch of school kids in this sort of bad situation that happens. Well, I guess we'll get into spoilers in a second, but, um, the tension between, yeah, they don't even devote that much time to it, but it actually really worked for me. So she has like this little budding romance with Montana, like the local cowboy. And like, even though it only gets a few minutes, like it actually kind of hit home, but, uh, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Them, Tom Hanks and the kids, I think are the strongest character parts in the movie besides the actual visuals and the music. Um, I guess let's go right into spoilers then. Okay. Spoiler time. Uh, <laughs> so do you want to just describe the climax of act one? All right. So the climax of act one is all the kids are showing off their science experiments. Oh no, that's just before. I'm sorry. They're, they're observing a, a phenomenon while wearing boxes on their heads Yeah, where uh, it's a light show with three kind of stars. I believe they said it was Yeah, something. And there's like three stars in a row. And then all of a sudden they see, a fourth come in that's really green and it happened it comes down and it's an alien yeah and they, which i think was part of the trailer so it's not the huge spoiler but the alien comes down and classic um wes anderson style of like that kind of claymation kind of look yeah i love it, how the alien looked he looked he looked great and he looked like totally out of place like it, yeah. it was a great look for an alien to be like not the same kind of like movement at all as like any of the other characters or like anything real but he uh casually just takes the asteroid that's in the middle of their little <laughs> uh their little museum i guess or display yeah so the city is like i guess like the the site of like an asteroid impact and that's and, like uh, their name to fame yeah sitting in the middle of the crater is i guess the asteroid it's like a little cage <laughs> yeah it's in a little cage and the alien comes down grabs it and then poses for a picture for um yeah yeah uh, he, jason schwartzman he holds it up to his cheek as like a, as a cutesy pose <laughs> yeah it's pretty funny so, and then just leaves and yeah. everyone's in shock and then the right. uh the army uh locks down the entire uh, city or town or whatever you want to call this but they um that's the the main shenanigan at at the end of act one and that really feels like the climax because I mean, how could it not be yeah and then the following action is everyone's reaction to the alien and then we cut back between all these characters uh, about their reaction to the alien. Right. And none of them are 
spectacular, I'd say. Or, you know, some of them are funny. The kids' ones are funny. Yeah, well, there's the one kid who... Makes a song. <laughs> no, I was thinking of the one kid who immediately wants to uh, leak the picture to the press. Oh, right. Oh, then, uh, Cho. Yeah, so he's got that kind of confrontational thing going on with the military. Being a rebel. Yeah, he's, you know, like the very... um. You know, he believes that people should know. They have a right to know. And they do end up leaking the picture, and that's sort of the story. But um, It almost feels rushed. Yeah, it's strange because you have half the movie just be this kind of this quarantine situation where people are reacting to learning that they're not alone in the universe. And then surprisingly little of the main character's dialogue is about this. So I don't know if we mentioned yet, but the main characters of this movie are Scarlett Johansson and Jason Schwartzman. Mm -hmm. And they're sort of developing this bond that happens, you know, between the shared experience of having a brainiac kid or, you know, this experience of being in quarantine or later they reveal that they're kind of bonding over having this past trauma in their lives. And a lot of the movie is just dialogue between these two characters. And they're not really talking about their situation, strangely. Like, they don't, they don't talk about the alien almost at all. No. So, and, or nor how it has changed their worldview. It no, doesn't seem like it has. These two characters are sort of just mutually self-absorbed. And they're almost just like talking to themselves at each other. Exactly. Yeah. And... Honestly, I didn't find either character to be very likable. I love both of these actors. You know, Scarlett Johansson and Jason Schwartzman are great. Mm -hmm. But I didn't actually find either character to be very sympathetic. So Jason Schwartzman's wife just died. So it's like, you want to get, you want to cut him some slack. He's a war photographer and the father of, you know, four children. So it's like, you do have sympathy for him in that regard. But uh, in terms of his dialogue, I don't know. He's... (laughs) he's not my favorite no he's he it's it's almost i don't know it's hard to say it just doesn't really say much in terms of his character he just talks about doesn't really even talk about feeling bad he says he doesn't feel bad i think at one point yeah and uh, scarlett johansson is just like oh yeah like yeah they, they, their dialogue it doesn't feel like it goes anywhere so it's like it feels like a wasted piece of the movie to keep focusing on them it is a little strange so uh, maybe the thing you're supposed to take away is like this character has had too much happen to them and they're kind of just like empty at this point but it's a little <laughs> strange to put a character like that in this wes anderson movie which is like sort of whimsical yeah and um yeah i don't know it it doesn't feel like it deserves that space it could be it could have been a character in his film it could have been that funny character on the side that's like so jaded that it's funny but like to spend so much time trying to explore that space within both of their minds yeah it doesn't really feel like it should fit in the rest of this movie yeah i I guess what i'll say is i wasn't convinced uh or i wasn't put into the character's emotional headspace like in previous wes anderson movies Mm -hmm. I am a fan of his movies and I feel like there's a lot of emotional high points or low points in the movies that I that did work for me like in previous movies like Royal Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom, Life Aquatic like his movies hit me pretty hard yeah and wasn't feeling it from Jason Schwartzman's character in this one probably is the deepest character so the, the other one is Scarlett Johansson and she plays uh, I guess like a, a tortured actress kind of archetype but the thing is, like, I, I just wasn't getting anything from her. Like, no. there's a couple throwaway lines about her backstory where she says, 
she has a history with violent men. Yeah, and she constantly walks around with uh, bruised eye makeup. Yeah. And people keep asking her about it, and she's like, oh, nothing. And she wipes off the makeup a little bit. Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I think we're supposed to imply that she was like maybe physically abused in the past, but she also says that she cannot experience the emotion guilt. She's like, yeah, I've played that emotion. I've, uh, you know, I've acted it, but right. like, I can't feel it. And <laughs> <laughs> so that character didn't work for me either. So now we're at the point where it's like, it's like neither main character works for me. Trying to sympathize with two psychos. Yeah. <laughs> or sociopaths. Really, or really whatever weird. you want to call it. I I don't know. I don't want to say I don't get it because I don't want to be like a boomer, but <laughs> it really felt like any time that the movie was about the main characters, I didn't like it. And I just wanted to get get away to like the side characters. Yeah. Because, I mean, what's part of a movie? You want to get away and have something fun. And yeah. especially a Wes Anderson film is usually filled with like a fun adventure. Yeah. and Or at least something whimsical at the very least. Right. And this movie was all in one place because of the quarantine. Yeah. I wonder, is this like a reaction to him? I don't know when this movie was produced and shot. Is this a reaction to like the pandemic? Like, uh, I mean... I'm kind of tired of that excuse, honestly, because yeah. I hate I hate that that's like a, a thing. It's almost like it's yeah. the new 9-11 where yeah. it's like, oh, a quarantine. Yeah, everyone has to make a movie with some kind of relation to quarantine. Yeah. It doesn't I mean, feel like something Wes would do. So I'm just going to guess it's pure coincidence. I think it's pure. Uh, hopefully it's yeah. pure coincidence. I mean, if Hollywood or somebody nudged him like, hey, maybe you should make a, one of these films about having something to do with quarantine. Right. And. If he reveals someday that like the behind the you know the real meaning behind these two characters, I would be shocked. Like yeah. something crazy, or like oh yeah, these two characters represent yada 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 during the quarantine, <laughs> and this is how I felt about the quarantine. And yeah. like I would be shocked because that would just be, I think, too bizarre for him at least. Yeah. So what what are like the other main plots in the movie? So like you have another sub romance with. Jason Schwartzman's eldest son and oh, yeah. Scarlett Johansson's daughter. Yes. So there's, there's a sub-romance with them. Then you have just like the various goings-ons of the, the five brainiacs. Yeah. And that was kind of fun. So the five brainiacs sort of connect with each other and they are all isolated by their intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so they have this like sort of kind of, they instantly bond over shared experiences because they play a game it's yeah the, they play it's like the memory game <laughs> they play a game that's like a memorization game and they eventually realize like they're they're way above and beyond like whoever invented this game and they're gonna play it forever because yeah. they're all brainiacs so they they sort of share the experience of finding someone that they can connect with like intellectually because i think they're all like you know big fish in small ponds yeah and that was like sort of a fun mini story yeah and it's there's also all the stuff with the army yeah um there's a few scenes where like it cuts back to them and how they're you know they have these weird plans and with plans and they rip open all these sleeves and they try to like control yeah. everything those are fun gags but it almost felt like they barely needed to be in the movie i mean the main thing that that happens after this point is the big cutback to the writing uh, the 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 writing of the of the actual play, yeah, where it becomes kind of obvious that not even West knew how to really end this movie, <laughs> because the main part of this kind of cut back to Edward Norton, who's the uh, fictional writer of Asteroid City, the play, yeah, um, he doesn't he admits that he doesn't know how to end this thing, 
and he is trying to get all the act. He, well, he doesn't try. He gets all the actors in one room and tries to have them act asleep and hopefully they dream up something. It was very bizarre scene. What do, what do they say? I would keep forgetting what they, they start repeating I think it was, a phrase. You can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. Yeah. You can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. And hey, also he snuck Willem Dafoe in there for like five seconds oh, yeah, yeah. as like the acting coach or something. Yeah. Maybe? And, oh man. Yeah. It was, it was totally bizarre and it definitely just rang to you where you're like, because you're stuck in between act two and three and you just feel like i don't know where this movie's going like you said like the last two parts feel (laughs) they feel longer than the first because it's just like things are happening but nothing was really of consequence if that makes sense it it was so strange so like big sip says it it cuts to this it's black and white and there's almost like a nightmare sequence of yeah jason schwartzman running around um, as the actor of the movie, not the character of right. the movie. Yeah. And he's running around and this kind of nightmare stuff is happening where people are chanting, you know, you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. And then he runs out to a balcony oh, right. within the, um, I think it's somewhere where the stage production is happening. Yeah. Some New York. And across the balcony is the woman who plays his dead wife in the movie. But in this level, she's just like another actress. And they sort of have this strange like... Which is Margot Robbie. Yeah, it's Margot Robbie. They snuck her in. <laughs> and they have this strange a strange little kind of like heart-to-heart moment. Except for I didn't get what was supposed to be exchanged. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Jason Schwartzman being like, oh, I don't remember this line. And then she's like, oh, it's this line. And then she says it. Yeah, yeah. And, and then what is weirder too is um, I think it was the mechanic comes out yeah to like hey you missed your cue get back in there yeah and then he starts talking to her and he's just like hey what's up and then she just chats with him and the camera flies into the sky yeah it's it's very strange i didn't i frankly didn't understand the point of i know it feels bad to admit but uh, <laughs> yeah. i definitely did not understand feel that like either. A, a big boomer so i i did go and read some theories and i wasn't really oh. satisfied by any of them well what did they say I don't even want to mention them because I was very <laughs> don't even want to mention. Very unsatisfied. Uh, you got to tell one that was ridiculous. So I think one interpretation that I heard um, was basically just saying the point of the second half of the movie was like there doesn't have to be an ending. You're just supposed to enjoy it while it's happening. Oh, shut you know? the fuck. I mean, <laughs> sorry. I mean, a curse. So <laughs> that's that's dumb. That's really dumb. I I. Don't buy that. I don't buy that because either. that doesn't seem. If like that is him. the point, then why are you cutting away from the story exactly. every so often to like interrupt my viewing experience? Exactly. I would have been perfectly happy with the story of Asteroid City. You know. Just yeah. Like yeah. Okay. Especially if wasn't it, my favorite Wes Anderson movie. But no. Like, Especially if it uh, had the, like the same, be, you know, beginning and end like Budapest. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, this is the narrative device, and that's that's all it needs to be. Yeah. So it it but in the end it made the whole movie feel very checkmarky for Wes Anderson. All the things that happen in this film right. feel like a checkbox was made for what his films usually are. I I did get that impression a little bit where it almost felt like Wes Anderson was asking himself like, "Oh, what do I usually do?" Yeah. Instead of just like completely innovating like a lot of his movies have been yeah because each film feels like a totally different thing yeah and that's usually the idea i feel like also what was what was like the big impressive shot that he always does so you know how like in 
the Royal Tenenbaums, he does that circle around the apartment and there's this huge set or like in the life aquatic, there's the huge submarine set. Yeah. This, I remember the submarine set. Yeah. What, what was that shot in this movie? Was there one? Would it be the train thing? Could have been the train. I feel like there wasn't that like equivalent where you're just like, wow, that's a, that's a practical cinema effect that they just don't do anymore. It wasn't the crater because that felt small. No, it wasn't. They didn't like zoom out for the whole town. No, he didn't. He didn't have that shot that like blew me away. Yeah. It, I mean, you could tell that all the practical uses of like, yeah, you know, it was, that's always refreshing, but it yeah, is like refreshing. Said, that, that one was in there to be honest. Yeah. The, the main one I, I, I came back to that like kind of made me upset. I remember like, I told you right after we saw it. Yeah. Which was uh, one of the times they go back to the writing process, but it's not, it, it's on the moment where Schwartzman's trying to figure out the character. Yeah. So Schwartzman, the actor, barges into Edward Norton, the writer of the play. He like barges into his house. In black and white. This yeah, is the black yeah, and white. Yeah. This is like part of the television program that Brian Cranston narrating. Yeah. And he's like, here's the legendary scene where like these, you know, people you were introduced. Out how the character is supposed to act. Yeah. And he comes to, into it and to the to the room. So Schwartzman enters the room uh, to talk to Edward Norton, and he, and I guess a comedic esque fashion, goes to open the window. Edward Norton says, "No, that window sticks," and he just punches the window. Yeah. And it felt like that scene that is in most Wes Anderson films, where something really chaotic happens out of yeah. nowhere that you're really not expecting yeah you i remember like your mundane story beats like da 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 like has this rhythm and it's like boom yeah like I think something happens i can't remember which one but like a cat got thrown out a window yeah, was Grand Budapest. or someone gets shot yeah. you know like something absurd happens yeah and i'm yeah i think you uh, you remember i jumped too and i was like, <laughs> I, was like I was like what because <laughs> i was like totally in shock and then i hated it because i was like that felt so like thrown in there like it didn't feel like because that was the only time that happened in the entire film right. and it just felt un so did you, you didn't like it because it didn't feel organic to that scene it, or that it was in there at all it it's like it is sort of a wes anderson like hallmark he does it but it didn't feel like it i don't know it, it just didn't hit for you it, wasn't it didn't organic. hit for me yeah, yeah i'll just say it didn't hit for me i didn't yeah. say it didn't belong i'll say it didn't hit because <laughs> it's be his honest, film to be honest none of the intermediary level narrative hit for me at all yeah so like there was a tiny romance between like Edward Norton and Jason Schwartzman characters. Oh yeah, they kiss randomly. Yeah, it it was. Um, I guess he like, like rips off the beard and he's like, "Kiss me." It was like sort of a scandalous like director or not director like director actor or writer director, actor writer actor. And then there was the weird Adrian Brody character who was the play director. Yes, and he was he was like going through a divorce and living in the studio. And but, was, the, but the wife was still like enthralled with him at, for some reason. I don't know. It felt and I was so like, strange. I want you to have them say goodbye like this. Yeah. And then they don't do that in the actual movie, yeah. which is like something that you're just like you're waiting for, and then just doesn't happen. I I didn't like so, anything from the intermediate level, if yeah. I'm being honest. And there, yeah, there's like a whole five minutes about Adrian Brody and how he's such a. Uh, he he he's dedicates, the director. Yeah, he's dedicates himself so much he like sleeps in the theater 
Uh, Either that or his wife kicked him out of the house. Well, both. (laughs) Well, both. Yeah, he got kicked out, and so he lives in the theater. Yeah, he's like, makeup does my hair, he shaves my beard, and then, like, uh, you know, costuming does my laundry. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, mean, it's a good deal. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But it still was just unnecessary. Because he's in basically all the films, too, uh, since he's his inception with Wes Anderson, I feel like. Yeah, he's definitely been in a few, but I don't know. I just wasn't getting the point of those characters and if that that one theory is true it's like you're just supposed to enjoy it it still felt like it was cut away from the main story to show me something else it's like ugh, i don't know yeah it just, whatever it wasn't enjoyable <laughs> in the end i'd say it wasn't enjoyable and and in terms of wes anderson films i'd say it's like a soft c plus maybe it's you know maybe a c minus it's barely passing yeah it, i didn't hate it but i didn't love it which is uh, like a median that i truly don't like in the end yeah i didn't i didn't hate it but i was also really ready to leave the theater which is yeah. not a good sign no yeah it's definitely it felt like time to leave <laughs> yeah uh, do we want to talk about how it ended sure i mean <laughs> if you can call that an ending yeah so it kind of feels like Maybe none of the the major character threads get resolved. I would say almost none of them get resolved. The only thing that gets resolved is that Cho doesn't go to jail yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for leaking the picture. Right. That's the only thing that gets resolved because literally everyone leaves overnight yeah. because the army declares that the quarantine's over at yeah. midnight. I mean, it's like, okay, quarantine's over. And then Jason Schwartzman characters wakes up and everyone's gone. Yeah. And he's like, where's everybody? Like, oh, bro, they all left in the middle of the night. Yeah. And he, he could tell that he thought she would like want to say goodbye at least or something but obviously did not happen so even he's just like taken back on that a little bit where he's like oh well okay yeah and he's just the movie kind of just ends yeah shortly after that yeah which i guess is fine you know just like oh here's a little slice of life you know life doesn't necessarily have an ending no yeah Yeah. but i mean (laughs) I can't say this adventure really had a, uh, a a thoughtful conclusion. Yeah. So I maybe. So there, there's a scene where the alien actually comes back and oh, yes. drops, drops the, yeah. uh, the asteroid back. Like it matters that much. <laughs> yeah. And everyone <laughs> kind of just has like the same reaction they did the first time. And um, and then he leaves again. Yeah, and then he leaves and then the quarantine's over and then, you know, we're, just, we're done with the movie. Well, uh, first they were like, quarantine starting all over again and then they're like oh it doesn't matter just leave it's fine it's kind of just like it doesn't matter and oh yeah there was a weird uh it kept seeing atom bomb tests in the background as well yeah no one knows what that significant Uh, was it could have been like conspiracy theory related to why the alien was showing up because some people say that that like aliens didn't really start until visiting after- until like humans invented the atom bomb right <laughs> so maybe wes anderson's actually a conspiracy theorist and maybe a crossover between oppenheimer and- yeah. <laughs> oppenheimer crossover i'm gonna see the, the alien in the background at the one scene <laughs> so yeah um i don't know what else you want to say about the movie <laughs> uh see it on a discount 100 discount uh because i mean doom and i definitely did that and i definitely recommend you do that because it's I see it in theaters, but definitely don't feel like you need to buy this. Uh, If you have a good home setup, like a good surround sound or something, you can rent to like rent it on YouTube or some joint. Yeah, when it comes out. Uh, How about the score? Did you like the score? 
It was fine. I mean, I remember not like hating it. I mean, I didn't remember yeah. anything that stood out to my head where like I was humming it after the film or anything. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. I've liked Wes Anderson's scores better before. Like this definitely, it's not bad. It's not offensive. But I also wasn't thinking about it that hard. And yeah. Sometimes I, I do feel like he picks like better scores or great scores. That match what's the energy of the film. Yeah, so that, that was a little weird. Um, a little stumble for Wes Anderson overall. But, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say, though, because, I mean, my my A-plus highlight of him is, uh, you know, Life Aquatic. Yeah. And then from there, they, it kind of goes down, but at the same time, they're all still good. But at now we're at C. Right. You know, I, admittedly, I did not see uh, French Dispatch. Yeah. I don't think you did either. I have not seen it either. I haven't got around to it. It didn't seem... See, this is, that was almost a, a step below this where it didn't even seem engaging enough for us to want to watch. Yeah, I hate to say it, but I, I'm not too interested in like anthology type movies. So I was that was a miss for me, just uh, in concept. I'm sure it's good. I'm sure. I'm sure. It's <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. good. I just haven't seen it. <laughs> but I have seen every other Wes Anderson film. So so should we put a number on it, like a five, a six? <sighs> a number. Uh, it's it's hard because it's like because comparing to other Wes Anderson films, I would say five six. Compared to films we've seen this year, yeah, I would say it's better than most of them. <laughs> it's better than most. It's yeah. better than The Flash. <laughs> yeah, I think for a Wes Anderson movie, like you can never really rate it below a ten because as a cinema, as a, a cinema, yeah, as it's so much better than the other trash that's out there. Exactly. So like you can't ever you're grading out on a much higher level. In yeah, essence. and like I still have respect for Wes Anderson as a director, as yes. an artist, as a visionary, creative. creative. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna say it's six out of ten. Six out of ten on a Wes Anderson scale. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whatever. Numbers are made up. They don't matter at all. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> we'll see you next time yeah. on Chiefs Gate Tuesday. Thanks for listening.